Hi guys, welcome back to Words to Life. This is Kim again. Hey guys, welcome back and this is Laura. Um, it's been a few weeks now since we recorded our last podcast because we've been really diving into the book that we're going to talk about today, which is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Yes, it's been a fun two weeks. Also, Kimi was moving in yeah, her awesome moved, new house. I moved in between that, so there was, I, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, but now that we got a little bit more settled, we can really talk about this book, which is honestly my favorite book of Elizabeth Gilbert. If you guys aren't familiar with her, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. So that big phenomenon was her. Um, she has a bunch of other books too that are really amazing literary pieces, but I think she's most well known for Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah. And Big Magic was actually her first foray into nonfiction. Um, and it's such a beautiful way of her, of you seeing Elizabeth Gilbert's, um, way of, of what she believes creative living is and living in creativity. Still recording. Oh yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I didn't know if I was still recording. Um, so she really like Elizabeth Gilbert, it's, it's such an amazing book because she really believes that creativity is something so lighthearted and fun. It's such a beautiful way of of approaching that kind of work or any kind of work that you're doing because it's not so heavy. You know, it's not thinking that that in order to create or in order to to live the life that you want to live uh, or like do the things that you love or living your passion, it's not. You know, it's not such a burden. It's not sitting down and and like you know jamming on the keyboards every single day. Like it's it's really such a beautiful like lighthearted way of looking at things. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think that this book, I mean, she speaks a lot to creative people and people in that world, but as we progress as a world, and I feel like we are more entrepreneurial now, and we all want to kind of come up with our own thing, um, even though the, she speaks a lot to the audience of, like, artists and, and writers and authors, you know, and, and people in that world, you can easily apply this to everything that you do. Like, for me, whether it's creating a lesson for students, or for Kim, maybe creating a yoga uh, practice or a yoga, you know, class the way she just explains creativity detaches so much like burden and heaviness that it just makes you want to do it for for the fun of it for the sake of it yeah and it's living it's like kind of living a more carefree life and looking at that like a little bit more um as a fun attribute of your life something that she said that i really really resonated with me was that um greeks and romans always believed that ideas um and your like your creativity came from your genius and your genius for them was an external demon of creativity. So it was like a sort of like house elf, um, that would just kind of bounce around and come at you whenever like you needed it. And it was like this like guardian deity that, that would look after your creativity. And so by looking at it as, as something that's external to you instead of internal to you, you wouldn't put so much pressure on your creativity and your need, you know, in your art. So you would, if you had any success or you had any failure with any with your creative endeavors, it wouldn't be anything that was really your fault versus I feel like for the longest time we've looked at artists and creative people as like these like suffering, like martyr, you know, you think of Monet, you think of all of the artists that just like had horrible lives. Like they spent their whole lives just like sitting and painting and melancholy and dramatic when Elizabeth Gilbert talks about it in such a way of, of, lighthearted fun just and and so your genius is something that 
that can come like, can come to you every once in a while. It's not always gonna come to you, but when it does, have fun with it and play with it. So it's a sense of of playfulness and uh, you know, like just like having an easy time with it. Yeah, and I think uh, the whole thing of attaching it now, like she was saying, like back in the day, they used to see it as a genius, like you said, something external. And I think it's so important because nowadays we attach so much of what we do to who we are and that's not the way things are really. But then the problem with this is that then the outcome of that work or the outcome of whatever you think you created um, then directly affects you as a person and is not always positive. So if you did something that you put all your work, hard work in and you know you didn't do as great as you thought you would instead of saying like, well, you know what, this piece of art or this piece of creativity wasn't so great let's move on to the next one then you go and say like oh i'm just a horrible artist or oh i'm just like not a good person or i'm just not good at this i'm terrible and then you start connecting like you attach it to your to yourself and your value so i think the way they used to look at it before was just more liberating and like you didn't have to feel like because you failed at something then you're a failure yeah and it's also that um that feeling of of not attaching your successes and failures to your work so it doesn't really matter what people believe in about it or like what their opinions are about it or you know their their critiques about it because it's no longer yours when you put it out there it's theirs to look at and have their own belief system about it but it's your job to just use your creativity as best as you can and put it out the best way that like that feels natural for you um, and so one of the first stories that she talks about is is the idea fairy story with Anne Pechet, which is Anne Pechet is a famous author, um, and she wrote a lot of different novels. But first, we just kind of want to talk about what Elizabeth Gilbert believes about ideas. She literally believes ideas are living entities that jump around from person to person, and they're like these fun little like a fairy yeah it's like these little fairies that fun just like like jump around from everywhere and they they try to latch on to someone that they believe is gonna make their idea come to life Mm -hmm. so that's why you know and it makes so much sense too because that's why you know there's so many times when you've thought of these things and then you don't do anything with it and the next thing you know in a year or two years you see someone coming up with a business idea that's like oh my god that was my idea (laughs) and so you know, like it's if you don't if you don't grab the idea by you know by its foot and really work with it and sit and and put yourself to work, then it won't it just leaves you because ideas, you know, it's kind of like inspiration. It inspires you, but if if it's not right for you at the time, say for any circumstances in your life that you can't really work with it or you can't really do anything right now, then it'll go away and it'll go to somebody that's more quote unquote worthy during that time to be able to make it come to life because according to her, which is such a playful way of looking at it, is ideas just want to become, just want to like be, like they want to be put into action. They want to, they want to come to life. So whichever way they're going to do that with you or your neighbor or anybody, that's how they're going to come to life. Yeah. And I think this idea also takes away so much of the pressure because like you're saying, like so many times you think of something and like, oh, a year later, you know, this person launched it and it's amazing. And like, you can either beat yourself up about it or you can say like, well, ideas come and go. Like, they're like fairies. So yeah, maybe that person's going to have that idea, but there's other people who are rejecting right now at this moment ideas that may eventually come to you and it, you think it's good enough, you choose to run with it or you choose to pass it up. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's never ending. They're just, I feel like they're just everywhere, like little fairy dust. And when it comes to you, you decide whether, you know, it's something worth your, of your time. And if not, 
you move on. And if somebody else, you know, becomes successful at it, then you don't have to worry because you know that another idea is going to come to you because they're just, they're just like energy. Yeah, they're in the flow. air. They're uh-huh. in the flow. And also it gives you, it doesn't put that pressure on you uh, because if you're willing and able to take an idea, you will. And if you're not, you're not. And it's not... It's not that, you know, if you like see, look in a newspaper and you see somebody like started your business or started your, your novel or your blog or anything, you can't just like beat yourself down about the fact that you didn't do it. You should be like, oh, okay, because more is going to come my way. Like this is just the way, like the energy of the universe is going to come back to me. But if you sit there and you wallow, something else that she said that I loved was if you sit there and wallow and sit in your own like, you know, mystery like dark yeah darkness and melancholy like artist type like i was talking before then ideas aren't going to come to you because they're such light-hearted little like fun beings that run around like jump around to everybody they're not going to want to come to you if you're not like you're not fun yeah you're not fun and you're not coming at it from like a real because creating should be something beautiful and something that you want to do it shouldn't be you know work it shouldn't like shouldn't feel so heavy and so, anyway, so the story with Anne Petchett is such an interesting one. It's so beautiful. Pretty much, um, Elizabeth Gilbert had this idea to write a novel. Like, it came into her head, and she started running with it. And it was about, um, it was about a spinster from Minnesota that was going to travel, that fell in love with her boss, and was going to travel to the Amazon rainforest to... Um, help like with this business that her boss got you know into which was like starting like an old railroad track track. in the amazon forest and like she's in love with her boss and she deals with all the stuff there and whatever so that was the idea of her of her novel and then uh, she you know she started working on it she started researching about the amazon and that time period and and all that stuff and then life got in the way and so she you know she had to put something had to do with her um her lover at the time, the man that she was with, was dealing with immigration problems into the United States. So she had to put the novel, like, box it all up, put it up in her in her attic, and, um, you we'll know, put that. it away and deal with life. So she had to deal with uh, the visa issues with her, with her partner at the time, which, you know, was, like, a lot of different stuff. And uh, she put it away. So then two years later, she unboxes all the, the ideas again. And she's like, all right, I'm going to start on this novel again. And she's sitting there at her computer and it's just gone. All the inspiration, the ideas, everything was gone. Her novel was gone. She was like, oh, okay, this is no longer in me. So I don't want to write this book anymore. So she closes it and leaves. And then she goes to a, um, convention yeah it was like a convention or something with like it was one of those like book nerd kind of things that people (laughs) go to um with ann petchett who's another novelist and they met there like i think they had known each other known about each other so they met you know i think they like hugged each other or they gave themselves like a a kiss or something um you know a kiss on the cheek because they were just they were respecting each other for um how amazing you know respecting each other for their work and then and that was that. And so then about like a year later or something. So they stay in touch. They, they stay in like touch. They're touch. like t- they're writing letters to each oh, other. Oh, yeah. Like, they don't like to be on their Yeah, because they're so such, such writers. So they're writing such letters to each other. Um, and then they decide to meet up for lunch a year down the line or something like that. They meet up and Elizabeth Gilbert starts telling her about this novel that left her, you know, like the about the Amazon rainforest of a spinster from Minnesota. Oh no, I think first 
Anne Pache tells her like, oh, I'm writing this cool novel, but I have to tell you about it. And she's like, about something, I think she tells her like about the Amazonian people or I don't know, or, or going to Brazil or something. She's like, I want to learn more and I want to learn more. Yeah. And then she's like, I'll let, let you know, you know, I'll let you learn more when it's more complete. And she's like, yeah, I want to learn more because I started something like that two years ago. Interesting. You know, they thought it was going to be like a similar theme. And then you can continue to turn out. Yeah. So then they met up and then uh, Elizabeth Gilford mentioned this novel that was like that she was going to work on. But like, you know, she's like, oh, yeah. Was, and then so and Pachette goes to her. And she goes, oh, you first. You talk about yours first. So then she tells her the plot, pretty much like the basic plot of her novel. And then Anne Pachette was just like, you're, you've got to be fucking kidding me. And she, and Elizabeth Gilbert was like really taken back by it. She had no idea why she just said that. And she literally goes, it was like, why? She's like, oh, my novel is about a spinster from Minnesota and the Amazon rainforest that, that goes there because she's in love with her boss. Like same exact plot line. Obviously the environment was different in the sense that like it had to do, you know, one was in the sixties, one was more modern time. Like it was the different, those different nuances, but pretty much essentially the same novel. And they were just like, what the fuck? And if that like is not such a reflection of the idea fairies, like, I don't know what it is. Cause it's like, it happens all the time guys, where you see somebody, you know, you see somebody just like pick up, run with something that you were running with before, but you just put it down. So it's almost like a baton race. It's like a relay race that we have with everybody. And we shouldn't like, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert goes on to mention after that that she wasn't mad at Anne Pache, even though that was one of Anne Pache's most famous novels. And it's actually a novel that's been on my list to read for the longest time because it's just such an amazing idea, like an amazing plot. Um, so, but like, you know, it, it just goes to show that if inspiration, it comes to you and it has fun, like it plays with you for a little bit, but if you don't want to play with it, it leaves. Yeah. It has no, it has no obligation to stay with you. It's only obligation is to itself to become realized. Right. And it'll go to whoever is willing to do that. And I think I love that she said like, you know, I wasn't upset. Like that idea was meant to be for her and she ran with it. And maybe if she had, maybe if um, Elizabeth had stuck to it, maybe you wouldn't have to become such a big phenomenon. Like her friend did it. And, you know, it's just cool to see how, oh, and I also love before I continue where she says like the, it was the kiss or the hug. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, the idea got transferred. Yeah. It's pretty cute. And that's, that's, I think that's what she means by big magic. Like those little moments that, you know, make that big of a difference and, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that you can't explain. Right, that you can't explain. They're inexplainable. But, um, yeah, so I love that story. I love that idea of how ideas come about and how ideas just run around. And I think it just liberates us in a way where, you know, there's not such thing as shortage of ideas. Like, they're always going to come and go. You just have to pick the one that really resonates with you. And, yes, to run with it once you have it. Yeah. And now we're going to move on into one of our other favorite parts of the book, which I think really encapsulates um, what she wants to talk about in the terms of like creativity and coming about it in a more like spirited, fun way is something that she called the martyr and the trickster. So I'm going to start with a quote here about, you know, a little background about that. I believe that the original human impulse for creativity was born out of pure trickster energy. Of course it was. Creativity wants to flip the mundane world upside down and turn it inside out. And that's exactly what a trickster does best. But somewhere in the last few centuries, creativity got kidnapped by the martyrs. And it's been held hostage in their camp of suffering ever since. I believe this turn of events has left art feeling very sad. It has definitely left a lot of artists feeling very sad. And essentially, the trickster and the martyr... So the martyr, I think we're all very well aware who that is. It's, you know, that feeling of suffering, that feeling of of 
going at everything and putting your whole life force and all of your energy and everything into it, you know, cause that's how you want, that's how, like you want you to work really hard. You need to like bleed and sweat and cry like blood, sweat and tears to try to get everything you want done. Whereas a trickster is more of like a fun energy. It's like, you know, it's running around things. Life is amazing. It tries something because it wants to, and then it moves on because if it doesn't want to do it. And it also doesn't believe in rules and it doesn't believe in pigeonholing itself so much into certain like places and things like it wants to try everything. Um, one of the best, you know, she said that if there was like ways to, if there was like people that she would, you know, say the trickster is and the martyr is like who, like their idols, the martyr would be like Sir Thomas More and the trickster would be Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Cause the trickster is just like, you know, it believes that, that, um, that everything could just be like game, that everything's, everything's a game that we can all just play and have fun and try different things. And, and it's kind of a little bit like there's, it's so fluid. Like it's not so, it doesn't identify itself with anything. It's almost like a little gypsy running around. Um, so I love that about the trickster and then the martyr, you know, it's, it's like, you have to suffer to create. You have to, you have to, we've already talked about this, the artist that, that believes, believes in like pain, like to write, like it has to go through all these horrible, like heartbreaks and lose all their money and then gain money and then lose their money again and and that's the only way they're gonna have good ideas like and you can think about this for i mean most musicians in the world i feel like most artists yeah they like get addicted to drugs they get like they go through all these like horrible situations and that's how they feel like they come out with like their best songs and their best their best books yeah i think that's a great you know a great perspective because why should you have to go through so much trouble to have a good idea um, so that's why I think the whole book is so like coherent and nice because if an idea is something, if you want to believe that an idea is something that is bouncing around, that is, you know, is going to be there for you when, when it comes to you, uh, why would you be in a suffering state? Why would you think that, you know, just out of like pain and misery, only great work can come? It's not true. So I really love, like, I really love that perspective and especially because, if you have a good idea, I mean, if, if ideas are running around, then you just kind of go and play with it. And like, I feel like that's what creativity should, should be. It should be something that you play with. And if an idea is like a persona, let's say like a, you know, a spirit, it doesn't want to hang out with someone who's yeah. <laughs> melancholic and sad and suffering. It's going to take longer for, for, you know, for them to, to, to go through that, I guess. Yeah. And so something that she said that's really important about the trickster is that it trusts like tricksters will always believe that everything will work out for them. They're in, in complete alignment with the universe and ideas and the way things just move. Like it's like water instead of being like hard rocks. And another um, quote that she says about this, about tricksters trusting, she says, a trickster is obviously a charming and subversive figure. But for me, the most wonderful thing about a good trickster is that he trusts. It may seem counterintuitive to suggest this because he can seem so slippery and shady, but the trickster is full of trust. He trusts himself, obviously. He trusts his own cunning, his own right to be here, his own ability to land on his feet in any situation. To a certain extent, of course, he also trusts other people and that he trusts them to be marks for his shrewdness. That's funny. <laughs> but mostly, the trickster trusts the universe. He trusts in its chaotic, lawless, ever-fascinating ways. And for this reason, he does not suffer from undue anxiety. He trusts that the universe is in constant play and specifically that it wants to play with him. And I think this is the most important thing when it comes to creativity in any endeavor and in, in business and anything that you want to pursue because 
it's something to have fun with. It's something that you have to believe the universe is going to work for you. Like it's, the universe is going to bring to you, you know, out of love for you. And that if it's not the thing for you, it'll bring you something better. Yeah. I, I love that part. I love that, you know, an idea, I feel like if you're working with creativity, you really have to trust that what you're creating is going to, you know, whatever is going to, to have the benefits or the fruits or, you know, this, the results that you want it to be, but you want to do it from a place of, of fun, of wonder, of curiosity. You just want to, you want to walk around just, you know, like having fun with it so that it doesn't become this chore. Um, and I think that's also one of the reasons maybe the martyrs become martyrs because they put so much pressure on their ideas that they lose the whole sight of what creativity truly is, which is having fun, having fun for the sake of having fun, having fun for the sake of creating something. Once you put that pressure of like, this something has to give me money, this something has to make me famous, this something has to, whatever, have this huge result, then it takes away all the fun from, from creativity and from, yeah, from what it means to be creative. So I think it's a great, um, it's a great way to think of it as a trickster. Yeah. And like, I feel like life in general, we should be a little more lighthearted and, you know, obviously there's things that require work and, and, and it's just life how it is. But when it, come, when it comes to creativity, if you think about like authors, like I think she mentions this in the book, people that work in the creative realm, like authors, painters, they're like one of the only professions that are actually not needed. Like yeah. you actually don't need them yeah. to ha run a community. But that's the beauty of ideas and creativity. And that's the beauty of books because even though it's not needed, it's something that can just like flip the world upside down. Yeah. Because that's, that, that's what it's meant to be. So I think detaching that and coming from her, like, you know, someone who's a great novelist, detaching that suffering is also a great way for people who want to pursue these or for people who want to do this as a side activity. Like, yeah, you don't have to attach it so much to, to the outcome versus to what it gives to you as you're creating and the yeah. benefits. I think that moves it. Oh, I, yeah. that well, I think, I mean, one. just to add to that, I think that's so beautifully said by Laura, but I think also, you know, if you think about society the heaviness of society is the survival part of it it's the old way like back when we were tribes and back when we were hunter-gatherers we didn't know where our food was going to come from we didn't know where we were going to sleep we didn't know like basic survival instincts we had to figure out so once we had those figured out was when we could play with our creativity and we could have fun with it like artists may not be needed But look around you. Everything that you do is a creative endeavor. All the TV that you watch is creative. The podcast that you're listening to right now, for example, the books that you read, the clothes that you wear on, you're like, everything that we, you know, like even the computer that you work on every single day was a creative endeavor. The food that you eat, the restaurants that you go to, chefs, every, like the beauty in life comes from the creative stuff. It doesn't come from the heavy survival, like, where does my food going to come from? Like, where am I going to have a roof over my head? How am I going to be able to like provide for my family? It comes from the lightheaded hearted nature of creativity. Um, but also if you think of like, if you trust the universe, like the trickster does and trusts also, he doesn't only trust the universe. He trusts himself. Like he trusts his own, um, like his own talents, yeah, his own, exactly. he believes in himself. So if you do already, if you know that you, you know, you're, You're, an ama you're amazing at what you do, or like you already trust your, and believe in yourself and you believe in the universe, then you don't have to worry about anything. Like you don't have to have the anxieties that you have about life. You don't have to have anxieties that you don't know where, like what, you know, what's going to happen or like, it's no more, there's no more pressure. It's just, it's just like love and life and living. And it's living a lot more presently. Yeah. It's living, definitely living more presently. And like, I feel like as humans, we grow up and we know exactly how, like, 
we, we, we develop in a way that we know like the outcomes of things. For example, I'm going to give a personal example. Let's say I, you know, I just like left my job and I'm kind of like a freelancer. Let's put it that way. And it's like, it is stressful to think like, oh, how am I going to, you know, pay for example for the bill this month? But like, I know myself to know that I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So either I can go living my month suffering, thinking, how am I going to do it? Even though, even though I know, and I know that at the end of the day, I'm going to figure it out or I can do it with more wittiness, with more lightheartedness. And the process is just going to be much more beautiful and much more free and much more exciting than me having suffered when I know at the end, I'm still going to figure it out. And if it doesn't get figured out, that's when I should suffer. That's it. You know, like I shouldn't anticipate that worry because then it's just anguish and it's just going to create more, you know, tense, like all these tense feelings in your body um, instead of you just having to, you know, enjoy it, enjoy the process. And I also think it's something that, we all need to live more like I think some like I've told this to Laura before but you know I've always thought about money as as a trickster if there's anything that I I could describe yeah if there's anything I could describe as money like pretty much the story is that um (laughs) when I was meditating once like it was like one of those like abundance meditations about you know growing financially and that kind of stuff and in it like I was really in it and I started like seeing these like green nymphs like they're like these like very like ethereal women but they're a little girl like they weren't like they're women but they're small and they're like little girls like kind of thing and they almost like lived in the tree like they're like nymphs like the best way to describe them they lived in the woods and stuff they were green and their faces were like i don't know how to describe it they were these like very mischievous looking faces like just like these like fun little like they always look like they had something up their sleeve and they weren't you know, ever like they're cheeky and, and like that kind of energy. And then I realized like while I was meditating, that was money. Like that was, that is how I look at money. And that's how, like they were just like fun loving. And like, it's almost like if you look at money in like, I, I took it in the sense that if you look at money as like a burden or you look at money like paying bills and like all the boring stuff, these fun little wooden nymphs are going to run away from you because they're like, oh, you're boring. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's not fun. And so they go away. And then after my meditation, I really, I like journaled about it a lot and I thought about it. And most of the people that I know that are abundant, that are like, you know, that make a lot of money and do a lot of like very amazing things, live their lives like that. Like they don't live their life, you know, like they're the kind of people that put money into the stock market. And if it goes, they're like, oh, it went like, but I tried and it was something that I wanted to try. And then here, I'm going to go over here and like, I'm going to try this business over here. And then I, they float around like these little like green wood nymphs and they're having fun with it. It's a, it's a game just like it is for the trickster. It's when I think of the trickster, I always think about these the way that I thought about the abundance and this meditation and money and this meditation because that's how, you know, that's the trickster. And that's when you take away the boring, like, parts of life and the boring parts of, you know, the martyrness, the suffering, the, oh, I have to sit at this desk for whatever many hours to be able to make this money so I can go into my 401k and I make sure my kids are, you know, versus having fun and trying that business. And if it fails, at least you're one step closer to something else, you know, and you're like, oh, that failed. But like, and that kind of, that really sucks or whatever. But then you get to reassess and like, okay, then I move over here and then I move over there because you have to know that money, it's almost when they, um, there's this quote that says that money is a river and it's not a lake. So if you think of money as like a fluid, fluid body of water, that's how it's going to flow to you. It's going to come and it's going to go. It's going to go always. And like you can either go downstream with it or fight and try to go upstream as it's, you know, as it's going down, it's just going to be a fight. And like, if you're wondering like, 
okay, but you know, once you have money, then you can be a trickster. Once you have money, then you can play around because it won't matter. Then you can also look at it as energy because it comes and goes. Like Kim was saying, like when you have, when you lose an opportunity to make money, that just opens up space, energetic space for a new opportunity to come that will probably end up giving you money as well. And like, this happens to me all the time. Like I Twitter, for example. So it's like, I get canceled and this happens and the whole week is like, oh my God, like I just had all this, you know, half my income for the week is canceled. And then suddenly like I get all these like new messages like, Hey, I heard about you through this person. Can we, and then I just start meeting new people and it's like, oh, it's just energy. You just have to trust that, you know, it's going to come and you put yourself out there. You have fun with it. And, and boom, like, I feel like once I become more relaxed and actually allow those new opportunities and those new things to come in because they kind of want to hang out with you. Now I'm seeing it that way and it's so cool. Yeah. It is really cool to look at. And I really want to share this quote because then she goes uh, on saying like, you know, don't put all this burden in, in your creativity. Creativity is here to, for you to have fun with. Creativity is here for you to just create. And um, part of, you know, being an artist and putting all this burden, like you have to be broke, you have to be hungry, you have to live in an apartment with 10 other people while you become something big, which most of the times you probably won't, um, is that creativity is something that you should carry with you. And so I like her story because she says that when she was 16, she took vows or she married her idea. She took, they took vows. And she said um, when, I, when she was 16 years old that she was going to be a writer and that she was going to basically support them until, you know, until she had to, even if it meant forever, because it was what her creativity meant to her. And this is one of the quotes that she says at the end of this chapter. Instead, I simply vowed to the universe that I would write forever, regardless of the result. I promised that I would try to be brave about it and grateful and as uncomplaining as I could possibly be. I also promised that I would never ask writing to take care of me financially, but that I would always take care of it meaning that I would always support us both by any means necessary. I did not ask for any external rewards for my devotion. I just wanted to spend my life as near to writing as possible, forever close to that source of all my curiosity and contentment. And so I was willing to make whatever arrangements needed to be made in order to get by. And I love this so much because when you do something for the love of just doing it, I feel like in life we so we get so caught up on like results. We're so result oriented that we forget that there are pleasures to just do something just for the sake of doing it. And I love that she says like, you know, I was going to take care of, of, of my writing and me for as long as it needed to be because the value of her writing, sitting down and writing something was so much more than what it could possibly bring to her as a result. But then eventually, yeah, she grad, uh, you know, she had a great moment where she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. It became famous. And even she says like after her, like, that book maybe was when she finally um, decided to just focus on that and live off of writing because she had already published other books before. But I think that's so beautiful. And I think that if artists that have so many great ideas had that perspective, they wouldn't give up because you still have creativity and you still have great ideas. And just because you don't make money off of them doesn't mean they're not great. And people with great ideas just give up because it's like, oh, this is not giving me money. And it's like, no, don't, don't see it that way. Like, it's, first of all, it's not easy, you know, to just get money off of these things, but don't lose the, the vision. Don't lose what it's giving to you. Don't lose how you, good you feel when you're writing that story or how good you feel when you're painting that, that portrait or whatever it is. Like, keep it and support you both until maybe one day, you know, it ends up supporting you. But if it doesn't, then so be it. Just do it because you enjoy it, because it's an enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Um, just create for the sake of creating. And I, I think I, I love that. I love when she says yeah, that. I love, there's a part, I think, in that same chapter where she said that um, your creativity looks at you 
like if you look at your creativity or you know as like okay like make me money like make me money it looks at you like the way that a cat or like a dog or an animal looks at you yeah. like because it's like oh like what are you saying and you're just like like it's yelling like she's yelling at me but I, I don't understand her at all because it's like creativity creativity isn't here to make money you know like it's not here to to try to figure out our bills and like all of like those other things creativity and the idea fairies they're here to like have fun they're here to to make us happy, for us to like have a joyous life. So it takes away that pressure of of making it like go out and get a job. It's like looking like a toddler and being like, go get a job and make money for us in your life. And the toddler is like, what? Like I don't understand. Like I don't understand this concept of of responsibilities. So you know, marry your creativity, but also realize that like your creativity, you know, it, it's it needs to be nurtured. It is like a child. It is like a, a puppy or like a cat. Like it. It needs to be nurtured. You need to take care of it. And it's, you know, and the only way to do that is for you to not feel pressured by what you do. And I think there's another part in the, lo- in the novel where she, she was, or not novel, in the, in the book where she was talking about how, you know, taking away your work from your passion. So a lot of artists, like you said, spend most of their time like thinking that they need to make money from their art. But instead, just separate those two things. Like just put like all of your emphasis do it because you love it and then work to make money to live which i think goes beautifully into the idea of shit sandwiches that elizabeth gilbert touches on an idea that mark manson actually came <laughs> up with in um on his blog but he actually talked about it in subtle art of not giving a fuck and we mentioned it in that podcast um in that podcast episode but shit sandwiches is pretty much um like after you go into marrying your creativity and you come into this union with it, you understand that you're going to have to take the good and the bad. So, you know, if when you, when you marry someone, like a real, if you think about marrying someone in your real life, like coming into a marriage, no marriage is perfect. Every marriage has, your partner has things that drive you fucking crazy Mm -hmm. and other things that you absolutely love but it's really just the overarching love and the like you love them overall all the good outweighs the bad so obviously you want to be married to them but you take the bad anyway because there's more good than bad it's the same thing with creativity creativity there's like you love playing in that realm you love to be creative you love working on your art but you also understand that you're going to have to take you're going to have to eat some of the shit sandwiches that Mark Manchin talks about. Like you're going to have to work. You're going to have to deal with all of the rejection letters. You're going to have to deal with the opinions and, and the late nights and the early mornings and, you know, all that time, that extra time and effort. And, and that's okay because you, you understand that this is something for life. This is something forever. And it's not, it's not, you're never, like, it, it's not, like, contrary to most marriages in the United States, you're not getting a divorce. <laughs> like, right, right. So this is something that you have to really devote yourself to and take the good and the bad. Yeah, and, like, she did. She had to work, you know, so many different jobs that were not her favorite thing, but she wanted to support her her creativity and her writing and I think that applies also to life like if you're someone who's trying to find your path you're someone who maybe hates your job or someone who's starting something new I feel like a great uh, way to measure that whether it's something that you truly envision yourself doing for the long run is are you willing to eat those shit sandwiches are you willing to do the knit and the greedy work that comes with that great idea because if you are chances are that it's something that you really enjoy doing at the end of the day and it's something definitely worth your time because I know personally I've been through jobs where I'm like 
this is like the shit sandwiches are not worth it. Like this is not something I see myself doing. The beautiful and the great is always gonna be, you know, the, the success and the great is always gonna, gonna be beautiful and great. But if the shit sandwiches that come with it is something that you cannot do or something that don't resonate with you, then that's definitely not for you. So I think it's a great also way to measure that, like to find like what really matters to you. And then if you're willing to sacrifice um, and, and deal with the bad things, then then it's a good you know measurement and for you to know that that's the way you should go. Yeah, and I think that's something really important to touch on um, because I don't think that most people understand like what a shit sandwich is because I think you take the you take the bad with the good when it's something that you love and you're mm-hmm. devoting yourself to. But I think most of the time, especially in corporate life and and just nowadays, like in the way that we look at like the American dream, we take so many shit sandwiches because we think that we have to like live in this discipline and live in this state of, of like work and horribleness, but we forget what we're like, what our why is. We forget what we're working towards. And then as Americans, you know, or people that have come here from other countries that like we didn't have, didn't have the best background. So we want to work our asses to do well here we um we think that like we think that we have to um that like we just have to take all of the bad which i think you know i was talking about this earlier with laura we had like a little sidebar conversation about the fact that i don't think that kids these days or anyone no one has really been taught how to leave something no one has really been taught how to how to like quote unquote quit and I think that's actually such a bad thing because we teach kids like we're like okay stick with it like you know like we're like they're on the baseball team we're like stick with baseball keep going practice every day do they even love baseball you know what i mean like have you ever asked your kid if they love the sport that they're playing like do you there's so many football players that the ones that are great are the ones that live breathe and die for it and they love it to the end but then you have all these guys that have a natural talent and they're amazing at it but they don't really want to do it you know and like that's the thing with kids like we we put all this pressure on them to never quit, never quit. But there's nothing wrong with, with quitting. Like quitting is actually a step forward. It's not a step back. And it may seem like that because, you know, we spend most of our lives in the American, like, you know, we see all these movies, we see all this stuff, failure is wrong, blah, 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 blah. But like, it's not failure. Like it's quitting. It's quitting so you can move in the other direction. It's being like the trickster, or being more fluid, being like water, like moving towards something like more fun and and kind of reassessing like like dodging and weaving and reassessing where you are and where you really want to be and and that's okay like because we're like the shit sandwich idea is where do you really want to take the shit sandwiches you know like here i am for example in my brand new house that we rented and i love it so so much you guys have no idea i'm so happy with all the space but i also know that living in a house is extra responsibility it means cleaning a much bigger fucking space it means you know dealing with the trash guy that i still haven't fucking figured out yeah like it means like you know like there's so many more added responsibilities and i have to deal with them and that's okay because i want to take the thing like my why is so much better now yeah and i think that's such actually a good point about not teaching children how to like walk away and like obviously it comes with good judgment you want to teach kids to to stick to it and to, to succeed for the things that they truly believe in but there's a point where you have to know what is not serving you any purpose. And if that's not serving you any purpose, then quitting is the only way forward. Mm-hmm. So it's like, obviously it comes with good judgment, but like you should never feel 
guilty about saying bye to something that you know is not for you. And if you not, don't enjoy doing it and you've been at the same job for 10 years and you hate eating those shit sandwiches and they're not the shit sandwiches that you want to be eating, then that should tell you that you really got to go. Yeah. Like you just have to go. You have to start something that really inspires you. So walking away is always something good as well. Like what happened, I was telling Kim about something that I wanted to stop doing. And then I said it with a tone of like, I felt like a failure. And she's like, why are you saying it that way? If you, if you know if it's a great thing, if you just made this decision. And it made me realize like, wow, like we have that so ingrained into like not quitting, not quitting. That I'm about to quit something that it feels so liberating truly, but I felt that it was wrong to feel that way. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, and I'm here 27 years old, so imagine a child. Yeah. But I love what you said. You said quitting is moving forward. Yeah, it's moving forward. And it's just, it's kind of like letting go of, of energy. It's letting go of something that you know doesn't serve you. And now you're, you know, you're, 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 you're redirecting. It's like when yeah. you're in that path and you kind of get lost for a second and then you just redirecting. So... But that's why taking your vows or marrying your creativity, marrying your why, like understand why you're doing the things that you're doing, what passion is it that you're really trying to live towards, then the quitting or the, you know, like the dodging and weaving won't be that bad because it's exactly that. It's literally just moving and, and kind of being more fluid and being like the trickster and knowing that rules don't really apply to you and you can do whatever you want, you know, like whatever it is that you really love to do. Yeah, and I think this is a perfect way to bring us to the end of the story, which is so cute. It's about her knowing that it's never too late late to learn something new, to start something new, because um, a long time ago, she was at this birthday party about this lady who was turning 90. And what's fascinating about the lady is that 10 years before, she had started studying, I think it was Mesopotamia history? Yeah, Mesopotamia. And and she was telling, I think, Elizabeth, like, oh, no, like, I'm so happy now that I've been, I don't remember exactly the story, like, I'm so happy now with this new thing, with this new life, and I can't believe I finally found this, and whatever. The whole point was that she saw this 90-year-old saying how excited, how alive she felt, because 10 years ago, or however long ago, she had started um, studying this. And if you do the math, she was 80 when she started this and she's here 90 feeling so alive with this new thing she found. So it's like, it just puts so much into perspective that so many times we're like, oh, but it's kind of late. Like, oh, I'm already in my 30s. Like, why should I start something new? Or why should I quit my job? It's like, no, like there's, it's never too late for you to start something new. It's never too late for you to really put into play the things that you want. Or it's never too late for you to start that creative side hustle or just a creative, you know, just having that as part of your life, even as you're working. And I don't know, I, I thought that was a, just a, such a beautiful story and like it puts so much into perspective. Yeah, I think it's also, I think it really ties into right now because I've heard of so many, you know, women that are like, that have had their kids or like, especially now with the pandemic, people are really unsure about where their jobs are and, and sometimes the breadwinner has lost her job. So like, like someone has to come in and step up in the marriage and stuff. And it's really hard when you've been out of the game for like 20 years or you've been out of the game for 10 years or even five years and you don't know what you're doing. But, like, it's never too late. Like, here was this nine-year-old woman so enthralled with a subject that, you know, no one else knew anything about. So you're never too late to learn. And you're never too late to, like, to be with your creativity. Because your creativity is always there. Like, some maybe sometimes an idea will come at you when you're 95 years old. But it found you. And, it, and the thing that, like, I think she mentions it in, in the book that I love. The idea fairy also, like, when they jump around to different people idea fairies will only go to people that it thinks can manifest its idea so you know like obviously i'm not getting ideas to build rocket ships at nasa but like all of these scientists are getting all these different ideas so you have to know like when an idea comes to you it's because it believes that you can do it so you also have to believe in yourself that you can do it too and 
you know, that's where you come in. That's where you come at it with like a little bit less of like a heavy, a heavy burden way. And like looking at it as a fun thing, but also understanding like that it's something new and that, and that it's, it's, it should be easy and, and, you know, just kind of follow, follow wherever like the, the river takes you kind of. Yeah. I like that idea of the idea chooses you. It, it does. Believes, it yeah. In. Because I mean, think about it. Like how many, like the, the MacBook didn't come to me. You know what I mean? It came to a lot of different people though. It came to everyone in that circle of like, you know, Steve Jobs and Wozniak and all of those people like Bill Gates. They had that idea because they were living that every single day. If you're, you know, reading, especially for Elizabeth Gilbert, she's sitting here like reading, reading all these books, writing all the time. So her ideas are going to be that of a writer. So you have to like look at Laura. Her ideas are coming that of, like as a teacher. She has ideas for lesson plans and how to teach kids something and being more creative and, and this that or the other thing. So you have to like also put yourself in your own realms and and believe like if the idea believes in you, you got to believe in yourself because like that's the only way that it's gonna come forward. That's the perfect ending. Yeah, that's the perfect ending and conclusion to this awesome book. Uh, again, it's Big Magic by Elizabeth. Gilbert yeah it's it's really I think we really had a hard time putting together what we wanted to talk about in this book because um there's so many things and it really is a quick and easy read you guys like it's a fun book to just kind of read and and just as lighthearted and and easy as she talks about ideas and the trickster energy and like following your curiosity and all those those types of things like you that's how easy it is to read. So yeah, it it's a definitely easy. a book I'm going to come back to because you kind of forget like through the nuances of life, you think of things so like you just forget about that like easy, fun energy. Um, so it's definitely a book that like you want to go back to, even just flip through and read. She's just such an amazing, she did such a really good job with this book. Yeah, well, we hope you guys enjoyed it, this podcast yeah. and we hope to see you soon with the next one. Yeah, <laughs> and make sure to comment or subscribe anything that you guys yeah, comment, subscribe. Um, also, let us know if there's any like parts of the book that you really love and you really want to talk about. Um, any things that kind of resonated with your life, living the the big creative life, as she like creative living, as she says it. Um, we're also really eager to hear from you guys too. Yes, and if you guys are artists who have stopped <laughs> creating because of the results, please go back. Yeah, because I think create for fun. the we world need more needs more yeah. more creators and more more of that lighthearted energy. So yeah, thank you guys and have a wonderful week or next time we'll, we'll, we'll see you guys. Bye. Bye.